In recent weeks, Joe has been preaching from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. The lectionary after Pentecost takes us back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, starting with, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and there was light, and it was good. And we then begin the journey with the mothers and the fathers of the Jewish faith, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel. The story of our spiritual and heritage opens around 1850 B.C. when God invites a wandering herdsman, Abram, to leave his country for a promised land of great prosperity. In return for God's blessing, Abraham and his descendants were to witness to the one true God. These began the stories of God's involvement with a special people, a people laced with flaws and problems and character defects, whom God used, despite themselves, to testify to his loving fidelity and to prepare the way for the Messiah. We heard about Isaac's obedience in the testing by God, given up to give up his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice, in his willingness to do so, which in the end God didn't actually require of him. The obedience of the servant who was made to promise Abraham that he would find the right wife for his son Isaac and does so by going and seeking the one appointed for him in another country, away from where the the Canaanites where he lived. And the story of finding Rebekah, whom Isaac marries, and with whom he eventually bears children. So miserable is Rebekah in her pregnancy, carrying twins, we're told, that she cries out to the Lord that he would end her sufferings. And then he tells her that she is carrying two nations in her womb who would be divided. And the elder would serve the younger. So Esau and Jacob were born, and you remember the story about Esau being tricked out of his birthright by his younger brother Jacob, and the horrible conflict that it caused in the family, especially because the scheme was authored by the the mother, Rebecca, thinking that she was doing what God had asked her when the babies were in her womb. In having Jacob be the bearer of the right that would bring forth wealth and power according to God's own plan. And then the story of Jacob's ladder, where Jacob has the dream about the ladder that goes from earth to heaven. And the angels of God are ascending and descending when the Lord speaks to him, telling him he will be given the land where he then was. And that his offering will spread, and they will bring a blessing to the earth. And he told Jacob that that he would come back to Bethel. And today we'll hear in more detail the drama of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And that's just the first part of the book of Genesis, people. I mean, who really needs reality television or Star Magazine? This stuff is really intriguing. If inquiring minds want to know the scoops on how God's people lived and acted, Acted and how he worked through them despite what may have seemed to be blatant weaknesses and hypocrisy, deceits and jealousies, passions and trickery, though they were often really trying to do the right thing. If you want to feel better about the fact that even you and I can be used by God to orchestrate his will, complete with our weaknesses and mistakes, our poor character traits, just start reading the stories. I tell you, it can be very comforting. If God can work with Jacob with all his conflicting pushes and drives and struggles and his blind trust, it is truly a sign of hope that God actually does work 
through human beings like us. The dysfunctional family is not a new concept. Speaking of dysfunctional families, I went to a family reunion this summer in Richmond, Virginia, where my father's side of the family was from, and you know about those. Where you haven't seen people in many years, but they're your kin. So there's a special bond, and your spouse is inevitably bored, kind of like going to a class reunion. And there are always issues. There are always issues, right? Things known and unspoken, things spoken but unknown. And in reality, it was an interesting time, and it was a great time, actually, to learn more about the history of my family. But there are always those skeletons, like the uncle who was the outlaw, the deceiver, who in the end was allowed to be buried in the family cemetery at the bidding of his own good son, which was all fine until they put up the tombstone that was larger than they thought it was going to be and thought that he really deserved. Not to mention the fact that it was hard to mow around it, and they, they really preferred a flat stone which would draw less attention to the wayward one. And on and on it goes. There's a story told of a woman who acquired wealth and social prominence. I don't know if you've heard this, but she decided to have a book written about her genealogy. The well-known author she engaged for the assignment discovered that one of her grandfathers was a murderer who had been electrocuted in Sing Sing. When he said this would have to be included in the book, the woman pleaded that he find a way of saying it in, in a way that would hide the truth. When the book appeared, the incident read as follows. One of her grandfathers occupied the chair of applied electricity in one of America's best-known institutions. He was very much attached to his position, and he literally died in the harness. Aren't we funny about our families? As Christians, this other family, our spiritual family heritage, the one true family born of God, which is what we're talking about today, is the one we really need to get to know. In many cases, in many of our cases, it could be an improvement. Anyway, getting back to today's story, picking up the story where Jacob has traveled to the ancestral homeland of his mother, north of Canaan, to see his uncle Laban and to find a wife at the request of his mother. Now Laban has no sons, you remember, only daughters. And during that time, it was thought that having a son was protection for your assets, an heir, if you will, as well as a guarantee of the continuation of the family line. Jacob has already seen Rachel when she is coming out to water her flocks, and he was smitten by her beauty, and it was said to have been love at first sight. Now Laban likes having Jacob around and asks him to stay on and and for Jacob to name his price for doing so. And wanting to gain the hand of Rachel, Jacob was willing to work seven years as a dowry. Now Leah was the oldest daughter, and the scripture said that she had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So they make the deal, and Jacob stays on. After the time passes, the unsavory story continues with more deception. Read it for yourself. The nightmare for Jacob begins. 
Having deceived his own brother and father, Jacob is now being deceived by his mother's brother. Twenty years of drudgery, affliction, and deception lay ahead for Jacob. Jacob's duplicity shown earlier in relation to his brother had now been put upon him. He was reaping what he had sown. Tricked by Laban into marrying Leah instead of Rachel, Jacob finds the, finishes the bridal week with Leah and then is given Rachel. And he worked another seven years, which he owed Laban in return for her. Not only are the sisters now pitted against each other, they're poisoned with jealousy and passion. Now the thinking was that Laban wanted a freebie in Jacob, and he wanted him to continue to work for nothing. And we won't even talk about how Laban was treating his daughters and how they might have felt about it. Let's just say it was another era. But our guy Jacob, he pressed through all these things with great tenacity. Though Jacob was a slow learner, God turned the results of these deceptions into building, into, into blessing, and built the promised seed, which was the nation of Israel. So what can we glean from the story of Jacob? Maybe you're thinking that things didn't go so well for some of these folks, even though they were really, really trying to do what God wanted them to, that God uses people who make mistakes. Or maybe you are seeing that while God is a holy God, his followers are not. Yet these are the people God chose to bring, bring about the messianic line, which eventually leads to Jesus, the author of our salvation. In a sense, this whole concept should help us with the stumbling blocks of hypocrisy that we see in other believers and often in our own selves. God is holy, and his holiness is hopefully something we're growing towards and something we long for, almost expecting that we will stumble, confess, and begin again. And that's something we, we do every week in church, and I think that's awesome. We can take it another step further and say, isn't that why we need a Savior? Because God is holy and we are not. Because we all have failed and fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is that God knows us. What we are really like in our duplicity and in our rebellion. And he loved us so much anyways that he still sent Jesus for us. He offers us a way out of ourselves. We only have to receive his gift of love. And the other piece of good news is that we may what may appear as bad circumstances in our lives can be used by God to build character or to move forward his kingdom as it did in today's lesson. Leah, the less the less loved became the mother of Levi and her descendants became the priests of Israel. Judah, another of the sons, eventually received the messianic promise and was the forerunner of David and then Jesus himself. Rachel bore Joseph, who saved his family during a time of famine. And the twelve sons of Jacob became the twelve tribes of Israel. 
You see, God chooses the weak in the world's eyes to put the strong to shame, says 1 Corinthians 1, so that no human being will be able to boast in the presence of God. The beginnings of the nations of of Israel already proclaimed grace, the grace that was to break through in Jesus. So I'm guessing most of us here this morning are experiencing probably some difficulty or trial. But if you're not, God bless you. Some of us are having financial problems. Some of us have had a recent loss or an illness. We may be dealing with disappointments in our own lives or the lives of our loved ones. Someone we love is struggling or is ill. We may have frustrations in our work or in our relationships. Maybe we are struggling personally with some habits or addictions. My brothers and sisters, God is guiding, and he's using us in ways that we cannot comprehend. And we know he is in the business of taking hopeless situations and turning them around to bring glory from them. Jacob, Leah, and Rachel may never have understood what God was doing in them, And through them, and we may never know what God is doing in and through us. But if we trust him every day through each confusing or discouraging circumstance, he will continue to use us to accomplish his good and perfect will. And isn't that truly the abundant life? Once in a while, you encounter a person or a friend who is trusting the Lord in their own life to such an extent that it really encourages you. I know that almost a a year ago now, a dear friend of ours was up at their family vacation home on Lake Michigan when he went out on his birthday in a kayak for a little paddle. Six hours later, as the family was awaiting his arrival to celebrate his birthday with him, they started looking for him. Several hours after that, they found the kayak, but they never found him. The waters of Lake Michigan had taken him, and he was believed to have drowned. A couple hours later, when we got a call from his wife, also our dear friend, she said, this could be it. He's gone to God. And she really meant it. They never found his body, and her faith has sustained her through this horrible accident. This is not to say that she didn't grieve hard, She has, is, and probably always will. But she believes, and she was comfortable, where her loved one had gone. Or maybe you have heard this story. She was 21, bright and full of enthusiasm for her task. She had known since childhood that she was born to evangelize. And so she landed on the shores of the United States, posed for service. Four years later, she married and soon had a daughter, her beautiful Lily. And her time was invested in the pleasures of life in the state of New York. Margaret Steed was picnicking along the shores of Long Island Sound one day when the family heard the gurgling shrieks of a drowning boy. And without thought for his own life, her husband raced into the waters and became entrapped by the struggling youth and his own heavy clothing. And before his family's eyes, he disappeared under the waters of the sound. 
Why crowded every thought in her mind? Why him? Why now? Why here? Why me? And gradually the questions were replaced by a peace she had never known. She processed her grief with a pencil in hand, and she penned these words that became her legacy to people she went to serve with confidence in the sufficiency of God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon the promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self-deceit to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust the precious Savior, precious friend. I know that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. May that be our prayer today, for the grace to trust him more. Amen.